Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yes, yes. Jackson, let's be honest about it. The people have been yearning to hear those two words for 13 long days. Now, I hear tell you came in here last week and you miss doing balloon parties so much that you said, I'm here, I'm hosting. That's right. Yeah, I, I, I barreled through the door. Yeah, they had plans for other things, different hosts. I said, no, no, no. The balloon party, you know, I'm half the balloon party, and I'm bringing my own cast of characters, and we're doing our own thing. And I don't care what anyone else says. I don't care what you want. You're getting the producer's party, and that's what we did Thursday. Wow, 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 wow. How was it? How was it? I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed doing a show with those guys. They're lovely. You know, talking it over. Different role for me a little bit because, you know, I'm not behind the board doing stuff. I'm doing, I'm in your seat doing kind of some more of the two guard things, you know, bringing a little heat left and right. Pure heat bringer. That's me, baby. Uh, you can give your thoughts on bringing heat with Jackson, 314-399-9646. It's the Air Comfort Service text line. The program is Balloon Party. It's one hour of midday radio magic on 101 ESPN and the 101 ESPN YouTube channel. Wow, the people are in the YouTube chat. Sweet mother of mercy, are they ever. Wow. Eric Nickens says Jackson has already said more words than all of last week. You didn't talk on the producer party? Well, there was a segment where we talked hockey, and I just sat there. <laughs> I didn't say a word. Don't you think, though, that's the right thing for you to 100%. do? 100%. Hashtag yeah. know your role, hashtag embrace your role, hashtag be your role. And what, Marshy Marsh probably carried the segment. Marshy Marsh, good morning, Yeah, Grant. good morning, Grant, the New York Islanders wizard. Hockey guys by nature, Matt Rocchio, more well-versed in the hockey thing. You guys just me. texted about the association while they talked hockey, I bet. I was just looking at I was like, I was like, when are we going to start having the real Anthony, uh, Anthony Edwards conversation? And I was, the, having the that. I was having that in my mind. I was like, when we start talking about this, what about Halliburton, you know, or is it a new regime in the league? going on uh, and that was all Halliburton like, uh, political uh, Tyrese <laughs> not sideways with Wally Zerbia yeah not the former vice president but sure. I had uh, I had all of this going on in my inner monologue in my head so I was fine Wow, okay. I kept myself busy uh, well you can participate in the YouTube chat it's great to see uh, the people are active in there I mean they are really active it's glorious to be welcomed back. Yeah, it feels great. It's like a yeah. warm blanket around you uh, so uh, I told Jackson I, I think it was via text this morning circa 6 a.m. I uh, said, I think today's show is all college football. I just think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's... I mean, the Blues haven't played since Saturday night. Mm-hmm. And I know you were monitoring the back to back against those Eastern Conference teams. Mm. Mm. Boy, you know, you run through the East, you just hope to 
I gave you a hit, and you're still you're doubling down. I, I, uh, the avalanche right, of the, uh, Denver in the Eastern Conference, right, and the Pittsburgh Penguins, who are indeed in the Eastern Conference, right, and won't play again until Thursday night. Uh, I said it's all college football, though. Yeah. Now here's a brief aside, sure. and I, I didn't bring this up on TMA this morning, but my six year old son uh, and we went to the game against the Stars also of the Eastern Conference last really? Wednesday. Yep. Oh, they had action on the West, so glad that didn't come up. You, you should have folded. Yeah. Uh, he wanted a Vancouver Canucks sweater oh. I have for, for Christmas. Okay. I have no idea why. Sure. But if that's something that, you know, okay. So I got him a Canucks sweater, and he said, when do they play the Canucks? I said, well, you're in luck. They play them next week. We are now just 48 hours away from the big showdown, mm-hmm. as we'll pay tribute to that 2003 series in which the Blues all got sick and blew a three games to one lead. Uh, and I said, i got to be honest with you, though, and I think this is how you, you talk it over with a six-year-old. If you wear the Canucks sweater to the game when the Blues are playing the Canucks, you might get your ass kicked <laughs> because you're bigger than your father already. right. right. And, you know, some Blues fans might be like, the hell's the deal with the Canucks sweater? Yeah. So just as an FYI. I think you need to double down and then also get like a Canucks hat, you know. So We're they, the Vancouver family. Yeah, you guys are British Columbia natives and you're just in town to watch some As many life. are coming in from the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. For a midweek game against the St. Louis Blues. Yeah, the pipe to the pipeline to British Columbia St. Louis is as robust as it's ever going to be. Uh, he has a, a number 40 sweater. Well, I mean, what a what a player. I'm confident. Matter of fact, I know I could not name you a single Canuck in the history of their franchise. Not a single one. In the history of the franchise? Gosh. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking. I first thought Joe Thornton, but that's a shark. Similar you played uniforms. for a variety of teams. Okay. Is Joe Thornton a Vancouver Canuck? Not one of those, though. Okay. Then I don't know any single one. Uh, my son is uh, sporting... And Elias Patterson sweater. That's the first time I've ever heard that name. And uh, you may remember young Page Views. I do, I do. Barstool fame. Good guy. And he has uh, skated with my son because, well, I can't. <laughs> and uh, he was checking in on him and uh, said, yeah, I, I got to be honest with you. I got the, the, a very weird Christmas gift request. He wanted a Canuck sweater. And I sent him a picture of him wearing the Canuck sweater. And then, you know, him being big hockey guy and in that barstool world, at least was, sent it to all of his friends in Vancouver mm-hmm. saying, hey, here's a six-year-old in St. Louis who all he wanted was a Canuck sweater. And there he is very proudly wearing it. And then I let him know, hey, they play the Canucks next Thursday. You're welcome to wear it. Might get your ass kicked. Yeah. yeah. Might get your ass kicked. Uh, so if we go to the game on Thursday... Take mercy <laughs> on the six-year-old who's about three inches taller than me. Okay. If you were to see us in the concourse, because he knows not what he does, <laughs> he just really likes the green and blue combo. By the way, speaking of uniforms, and now I'm segueing into college football, and it's so deft you don't even realize I'm doing it, which reminds you of my talent. That's truly supernatural. The uniform combination at the Rose Bowl, glorious, outstanding. I would imagine you would agree with that. Just as good, like you couldn't pick a better setting. You know, Pasadena Rose Bowl in the after late afternoon with Alabama wearing their classic colors, and then Michigan wearing their classic colors. 
ideal college football uniform matchup. I agree, and I think it's even better that that Michigan was wearing their home uniforms yes. as opposed to the white with yes. the maize, That's right. not yellow, or maize. gold pant. And then Alabama was wearing the white yeah. with the crimson helmet. Perfect. Just, I mean, just optimal. So the best combination, honestly, maybe in college football, maybe throw Notre Dame in there, but at the Rose Bowl, late afternoon, like perfect, just ideal. glorious. It's aesthetically the most pleasing game I've watched all year. Uh, so we will, of course, be talking about Missouri's Cotton Bowl victory, college football playoff action at the Rose Bowl. We'll, we'll, we've already touched on the uniforms. Uh, you had all purple from Washington last night, all white and burnt orange from uh, Texas, and uh, and the games themselves, uh, plenty of sound as well to play, uh, and I'm looking forward to talking it over here for the next, oh, I guess, Jackson, let's see what we got here. Oh, 48 minutes, yeah, approximately. Uh, it is uh, 10, 11 in St. Louis. The time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers. This is the second anniversary of Balloon Party. Second anniversary. I know Bob Hope is going to drive, uh, stop on by because he hosted the 20th anniversary celebration. It is year 20 for TMA. And I said, hey, while you're here for the TMA gala, can you come on down the hallway for the second anniversary party of Balloon right. Party? Well, two and so he is going to join us and ask the, what is the name of the segment that you're doing here? Oh, the Little up? Piddles Weekend Wrap-Up. Now, Iggy gave you a suggestion on... Oh, yeah, New Year's Nuggets. If we do that, I'll just get talking about Jokic in Denver, so probably. So you're going to stick to the weekend wrap-up because if you do New Year's Nuggets, you're going to talk about Jokic in Denver. Why, Why? Uh, you know, you don't fix what isn't broken. All right. <laughs> that was a bad way of doing that. <laughs> yeah, no, the momentum we had back. in 2023 <laughs> is carried over to 2024, and it's such an exciting time. All right, uh, that's all coming your way here. It's going to be most likely all college football the rest of the way. Uh, text in 314-399-9646, and you are welcome to participate in the conversation in the YouTube chat, uh, youtube.com, 101 ESPN channel, very active chat this morning. Tim McKernan, Jackson Burkett with you. The program is called Balloon Party, and it is driven by Munganas, Burkard, Alton, Toyota on 101 ESPN and on the 101 ESPN YouTube channel. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back. This is Balloon Party on 101 ESPN and the 101 ESPN YouTube channel. My name is Tim McKernan. That's Jackson Burkett. And ladies and gentlemen, it is time because I'm tired of Jackson and the NBA force feeding that's going on here. It's now time for the Little Piddles Weekend Wrap-Up New Year's Nuggets. What are you going to go with? I'm going to start out with Missouri. Yeah, but what are you calling the segment, baby? Oh, what are you calling the segment? Uh, the Little Piddles Weekend Wrap-Up. Well, I'm just going to stick with what works. I'm okay. sticking with what works. Yeah, I guess we're, 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 we're kind of Georgia football here. Yeah, that's right. It's a machine. Let's not mess with it. Bingo. You nailed it, Tim. Missouri is now the 2024 Cotton Bowl champs after battling through a stalemate of scoreless three quarters for the Tigers. Do you think that the game put on display on the national stage that Missouri is for real for the future? We know that the game means very little in a vacuum, but it was, was it the perfect way to lead into 2024? I know the question is directed at me. Sure. And I, of course, have my opinions, and I'm looking forward to sharing them with the audience. I missed that. I wanted to bring it back right away. Good. I want to hear what you have to say. 
So I think I've been very vocal. Where did you watch the game? Let me start. I like to I like to build a, a visual for yeah. the audience. Theater of the mind. Thank you. I watched it at a sports bar with all my friends. It's probably 25, 30 of us. What about that new female love interest? Was she there? She was there. God, this is all I have. I'm so excited. I really am. My I God. Yeah, appreciate you. The, uh, so, what, yeah. what cocktail lounge? Now it's in the past. You can tell the people. What, what cocktail lounge? Bomber O'Brien's in South, the South Oh, God bless. South City. Yeah. Eddie McVeigh. Forget about it. Yeah, might be the, might, Eddie McVeigh might be the greatest American ever. He's <laughs> right up there. Mount Rushmore minimum. No doubt. And uh, so it was a lovely time. Love that place. Hanging out with all my friends. It was great. And so, yeah, we're fired up watching Thanks it. Thanks for calling. I must not have been home. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I thought, you know, usually you like to, you know, drive far away from your home and right. stay out late. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And really get after it. Thank it's, you. It's what you look for. So I apologize. Having said all of that, we're very much intently watching the game. And I, I, I was vocal in the lead up to the game being like, Yes, like it's going to be cool if they can get the win, but in a vacuum here, like it's an exhibition game, it doesn't really mean much. Having said all that, on a national stage, people just see Missouri beats Ohio State. Now, they probably think that is much more a reflection on Ohio State following their loss to Michigan. Ryan Day can't, you know, topple the mountain of, of Michigan and what Harbaugh's done. And so I think on a, on a bigger stage, people are thinking more in the Ohio State camp than they are the Missouri camp. Having said all of that as well. Why do having said all that? I think that's the third one. Yeah, I uh, listen. I'm a little rusty, but I'm I'm bringing the heat. Yeah, the producer party. I mean, this is my first show in 13 days. Yeah, you were, we're working with Rocchio and Good Morning Grant. And yeah, Marsh and Marsh staring into Marsh's eyes. Yeah, beautiful mustache on Marsh. Flip that off. Moving on, <laughs> as opposed to saying that <laughs> again. It was great. Like winning that game. That's your take. It was great. That's that. That's what all of that was for. <laughs> Where's Rockio? And, and like people can be like, oh, it was a boring game. It was this, that, or the other thing. Ohio State, like, I don't think got into the red zone. Their only score came they from They did not. Field. Yeah, they didn't get into the red zone. And so you could say, well, you know, if McCord was there and Marvin Harrison, sure, that's all hypothetical. But Missouri dominated in the trenches, which they've done pretty much since the Georgia game, maybe even Kentucky game. They just dominated the trenches. I mean, South Carolina was like the biggest example of that. But they dominated the trenches like they did all year. Schrader got to break the the rushing record. You got a, a touchdown from Luther Burden to finish off the season, which I think is a, a great lead-in. I think it was the perfect way to end an awesome season and lead into a season with great expectations. Now, Jackson, you know me, and you know this to be true. At least I think you do. You know, had Missouri lost that game, I would have said... Doesn't really matter. Right. And I would have been put to the test because I would imagine those, because we're in a spot here when you're talking college sports, that unlike when you're talking about the Cardinals or Blues and 95 plus percent of the listeners are polling for the Cardinals and the Blues, when you're talking about college sports, people either are fans of a team or they are not, or they're fans of another team, and then therefore they can't be fans of Missouri. So so they would feel, and I totally understand that, by the way. But then what happens is people go, you're doing convenient reasoning because of the outcome. You and I recorded a podcast, I believe the day before the Cotton Bowl, and I made the observation that I truly will not be emotionally impacted by Mm -hmm. the outcome of that game. I, I absolutely was in the negative with the LSU game and the Georgia game right. uh, and the positive in particular with K-State and Kentucky and Tennessee. Yep. 
Um, and then certainly the uh, the fourth and seventeen, if memory serves, Florida. against against Florida. But this, but but even the Florida one and the Tennessee one didn't have the intensity because at that point the championship ship had sailed once right. they lost to Georgia. And I'm thinking through the lens of a championship next year it will be different because 12 teams will be able to participate in the uh, in the playoff. So with all of that said, that is the truth. And that's now with Missouri winning, and I'm quite on the record with being a Missouri football fan in a major way. But I'm in the minority. And and by that, I mean, I think the majority, certainly, of Missouri fans, and not just the majority, but probably 90-plus percent of Missouri fans, and then I think the majority of college football fans, look at that and go, holy crap. Missouri beat Ohio State, and yes, that wasn't the Ohio State team that played in Ann Arbor, for example, in the last weekend in November, but still, that was Ohio State, and Missouri beat them 14-3, to and had an 11-win season. So, the way I would describe my feeling on it is, uh, whether I'm incredibly enthusiastic about the outcome of a bowl game, a non-college football playoff bowl game, is irrelevant because for Missouri fans in particular, but for college football fans, but specifically talking about Missouri fans, the enthusiasm for winning that game and then putting that as the cherry on top of a great season, one of the best seasons in the program's history, I think one of the best teams in the program's history, uh, I think probably only second, and certainly you could argue back and forth, uh, to the 2007 team, mm-hmm. uh, that that now has people talking Missouri football and college football more, substantially more, exponentially more, than they were when the start of this season took place against South Dakota, low right. so many months ago, yep. and has them anticipating the 2024 campaign. And because of that, that creates momentum for the program that may not have been as intense if they lost that game. Right. So therefore, while I personally go, yeah, that wasn't the Ohio State. I think Ohio State might be the best team in the country. Now, I know that sounds like so counterintuitive. I think you can make a case for eight or nine teams in 2023 being the yeah. best team in the country. And I include the 2023 Missouri Tigers in that list. Um, but now you have Missouri riding momentum from a recruiting standpoint, from a transfer portal standpoint, and from an on-the-field performance standpoint into the next year. You get rid of the CBS television contract, which then helps eliminate those stupid-ass 11 o'clock kickoffs, which hurt people from Kansas City and St. Louis going to games. And you have people with expectations of greatness. If Missouri were in the college football playoff next year, people would go, oh my God. Yeah, right. You have in 2024 what you had in 2008 as far as anticipation goes. You're coming off an incredible year, a lot of the players returning, and people are going to be talking about your program between now and you open up the season against Murray State. And you're riding momentum. So whereas if they won against Ohio State or they lost against Ohio State in the Cotton Bowl, to me it's a whatever. But as far as the greater picture, the greater good for the program, 
it's substantial. And yeah, do I think it's a different ball game if Marvin Harrison's playing? Of course I do. I realize Missouri was without players as well. But, you know, how motivated was Ohio State? You have to factor that in from bowl standpoint. And either way, I'm not trying to denigrate the win in any capacity. I just think if we're going to be honest about it, that wasn't the Ohio State team that played at Ann Arbor. Missouri's best game this year. What do you think Missouri's best game was this year? The best they played this year, I will say, was against Tennessee. Most impressive. Yeah. That was... I mean, most of you'd say Tennessee. Yeah, the first half against Georgia was just from an all-over standpoint. I think the most impressive game they played this year was Georgia, yeah. which I realize might also be counterintuitive, but I really believe that. Yeah, it could be the case. And because Georgia played a damn near perfect game. Yeah. If Georgia had one slip-up, if they had one they Brady were, Cook yeah. pass to a defensive tackle, you know, holy crap. Yeah. And that was the game that I think, it wasn't the K-State game, that was like, holy crap, a guy had a 61-yard field goal. Right. It wasn't the Kentucky game, because Kentucky had been blemished the week before by getting blown off the field by Georgia. Yeah. It certainly wasn't South Carolina. They hadn't played Tennessee yet. It was the George game where they were a top 15 team. They were expected to get blown out, double-digit underdog, and they were right there with them. And in particular, for football observers, the line play. The line play. They weren't dominated in the trenches, offensive line, defensive line. And that's the same thing that took place on Friday night in Arlington. They held up against a blue blood and four- and five-star recruits on the lines. And that, to me, is the differentiator between the teams that can kind of hang around and then eventually get exposed. That's what Missouri has. A number of those players are returning. Some big-time players are coming in, and that creates momentum. So from that standpoint, it is one of the most exciting times for Missouri football that I can recall, and the only other time I can compare it to is 2008. Now, 2008 was incredibly disappointing relative to the expectations. But at least now, for the next eight, nine months, a number of people who otherwise wouldn't be paying attention to what's going on in Columbia, Missouri, will be talking about it with anticipation, and because the schedule is incredibly favorable in September yet again, barring a significant disappointment, they will be undefeated when they go to College Station, Texas, and take on Texas A&M early in October. And there is a chance, by the way, that they are undefeated when they go to Tuscaloosa, Alabama and take on Nick Saban and the Crimson Tide. Mm. So imagine that, if you would, Uh and imagine the spotlight that that game would get, if you would. So from that standpoint, that is what I take from the win against Ohio State. I don't go, wow, Missouri beat Ohio State. They're a better team. I think they might be a better team, but we didn't see the two teams play each other like we would have seen if they were playing in November. Your thoughts are welcome. 314-399-9646, Air Comfort Service text line. You're also welcome to participate in the YouTube chat. Looking forward to the second half of the program with... The weekend wrap-up. Jackson did not want to go New Year's Nuggets. It's Balloon Party, driven by Munganass Burkhardt, Alton Toyota on 101 ESPN and the 101 ESPN YouTube channel. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the balloon party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
Welcome back to Balloon Party 101 ESPN. Tim McKernan, Jackson Burkett with you. We are also on YouTube, and you can watch the program. And uh, rank how hot we are. Mm, I'd kind of like to start the... I'd maybe like to do that every year and like keep a chart. Yeah, that'd be nice. Let me, let me look at me on YouTube real quick. Uh, I say I'm a St. Louis 8 right now, and I think you are... <sighs> I think you're a Ledoux 5. Nice. I can take that. But a St. Louis 7.99. Take that. I just feel like I can't. I always have to be, you know, just kind of an insecurity thing. Diplomatic. It's not real diplomatic. I mean, I edged you out. Uh, Yeah, rank us if you could in the YouTube chat because it's hot. Uh, Jackson, we're we're doing this weekend wrap-up thing here on Balloon Party as it's driven by Muggedass Burkhardt, Alton Toyota. And uh, we only got to one question because I'm so long-winded and such a narcissist. Mm. Let me talk about this one. What was that? What was that two-second pause and inhale with, with no exhale? What was going on there? I'm bad at segues. And so, well, like, I was asking you a question. There was no need to segue. The, I'll handle the segues, sweet prince. All right. I'm going to move off of the Missouri game and move more towards the college football playoff semifinals that took place yesterday. The ending of the Alabama-Michigan game mm. seems to be the most talked about topic regarding yesterday's CFP games. What did you make of the Alabama play call following the myriad of timeouts right before uh, the play was called in overtime? Did Michigan dominating the trenches prove they are as for real as it gets? Uh, so many questions. I recall the one about the play call. The play call, once it was executed and the game was over, if you just look at what you saw in that moment, you go, what in the hell was that? Mm-hmm. Oh, you I called had, two timeouts for that. Michigan called the timeout as well. Yeah, I had no faith at all. I was I bet Alabama money line. I had no faith at all they were going to score there. I had Alabama plus two, which was essentially like the money line once yeah. overtime r- r- rolled around. And I was thinking to myself, I don't expect them to score either. No doubt. I figured it would be Milrow running yeah. around for his life. So the play, and I feel like everybody saw it. I mean, the vast majority of the people we're talking to on this show certainly saw it. Looks like Milrow gets the snap and just runs into either the center or a, a you know defensive tackle, and that's the end of the game. And you go, what in the hell was that? But, and I have to credit, who the hell's the one on ESPN? Is it Matt Hasselbeck? I think it's Tim. Tim Hasselbeck? Hell, one of the Hasselbecks. Uh, one of the right? brothers Hasselbeck. Thank you. So I went, I mean, getting up as early as we do, there was no way in the world. What time did that Washington-Texas game end central time? I was asleep long before. It had probably to be after midnight. Midnight 30, even? Like, you say midnight 30, do you? Well, I was going to say midnight. Then. Zero dark 30. Yeah. Uh, so like, the game ending at midnight 30, I'm like, I'm not, I mean, there's no way. That's no shot. I said to my wife, I said, listen, woman. <laughs> I said, we got to go. Let's wrap this thing up. I got to go and do an hour of midday radio on an HD2 show. Somebody's got to go and hunt and gather. That's what I said to her. <laughs> Happy New Year. Yep. Uh, so I wake up. I have no idea who won the game. I tune in to, I wanted to watch the highlights. For whatever reason, it wasn't saved on my YouTube TV. Very odd. Mm. Uh, but I, I go and look at the highlights on YouTube, and I see how this thing's coming down to the, the wire on uh on Texas, Washington, watch that. And then I switch over to Sports Center for the analysis. The brothers Hasselbeck had a representative <laughs> nice. with Scott Van Pelt. And I am so glad I watched it because 
that play was there, and it it wasn't. Hey, let's just <laughs> run it up the middle and see if they're not there. Right. You know, the play was supposed to be Milrow running off the left ass cheek of his left guard. Yep. But two things went awry. Number one, they had snap issues on both teams last night. Uh, it really hurt Michigan's special teams, and it was an issue for Alabama throughout. And it's funny, I saw somebody tweet, and you may have seen the same tweet, or it might have been an obscure person I follow on Twitter, that an article was written in, on September 9th about Alabama's snap issues. So similar to Missouri, oh, wow. they had snap issues throughout the year. They came yeah. back in the Cotton Bowl as well. Uh, the snap issues plagued Alabama throughout the course of the season. So Milrow gets a low snap. That's a problem. And then to Michigan's credit... Michigan had, I think it was a D end, blow up uh, an Alabama offensive lineman and get in the backfield. But when you see Tim Hasselbeck's breakdown of that play, you see that exactly what Alabama wanted to happen was there. And if he would have been able to step through that lane, which was created, but he wasn't able to, in part because his momentum was shifted because the snap was low, so his balance is off, and the Michigan defenders in the backfield because he beat the big, as you can imagine, uh, Alabama offensive linemen. Uh, like, and there was a major size discrepancy there because obviously any of Alabama offensive linemen would be described as big yeah. that he walks into the end zone but you don't see that from what you're watching on the game view when you see the behind the quarterback view you see that it was absolutely there but bad snap and Michigan makes a play and that wraps it up but yeah it was like you watching that I'm thinking to myself there's no way they're gonna yeah. because I mean the, the you know Jordan Travis was the big issue with Florida State not making the playoff Imagine if Florida State would have made it and Tate Rosencrans, I think his name was, would have thrown for 116 yards. Well, guess how many yards Jalen Milrow threw for? 116 yards. It was a debacle at quarterback for Alabama, and if it weren't for his feet, they would have really had a problem. Uh, So, yeah, the play looked bad, but the play was there. Michigan beat it, and tip of the cap to the Wolverines. I would love to see the splits, and I'm sure someone will do this tomorrow with college football analytics, on Milrow's stats when he caught a snap above his knees and caught oh, a snap wow. below his knees. Wow. Because legitimately, like on good snaps, he could get some time. He could find himself, either find a running lane, which he was really good at yesterday outside of not switching the ball in his hands and fumbling, and he could find people down the field looked much better but almost every other snap if he was catching it was going to be down at his ankles or he was dropping like two times in a row they had they were plus field position and then two like legitimately terrible snaps and i know on the broadcast they're like you know miller has got to be a little more athletic to catch it and then they showed the highlight and they're like oh well you know i mean it's literally below his ankles like what are you supposed to do and then when you do catch that now you're scrambling because these michigan front line who played outstanding they were rock solid are right in your face. Like, what are you supposed to do? So the snap thing and then Michigan having trouble and special teams in a major way. Like, it was not the prettiest boxing match, but it was certainly a boxing match with, you know, who's going to make the mistake first, who's going to find the opening. Michigan took it. I mean, once they scored two plays into overtime, I was like, I am not confident in Alabama, especially how they moved the ball with a minute 30 to go. Nowhere. They had nowhere to go. Like, it, I just, I, it was... Alabama really fell apart, and I think their offensive line, mainly the center, is is what's to blame there. But Milrow didn't play well at all. I uh, I, I I was watching the game as I made reference to. I had bet before the game Alabama plus two, which of course I lost. 
but late in the game, Michigan gets the ball back after Alabama kicks the 50-plus yard field goal. Mm-hmm. Will Reichard, all-time leading Rock point solid. scorer in NCAA football history, makes it 20-13. to 13. And I look at the likes, I love live betting. And I saw Alabama minus six and a half. Now that was minus one eighty five, which means you have to bet one hundred eighty five dollars to win a hundred. But I'm. I said to my wife, I said, I think I have a fiduciary responsibility to this family to bet the entire bankroll on Alabama here because I just cannot see Michigan going seventy five yards. They're not kicking a field goal at this point. Going seventy five yards and scoring a touchdown. So therefore. Alabama minus six and a half is worth paying basically two to one on my money. Well, that didn't play out. And it was, uh, at first off, credit because they had a couple big time chunk plays, but the fourth and two play was, 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 it was a great play, but also Alabama had a missed assignment on it. It was Blake Corum who caught that. Yep. And it would have been a 35 yard play if not for the block in the back, which, which cost him some yardage. But either way, it kept the game going. And then they pick up another chunk play. Uh, so Alabama had some really uncharacteristic things. And one of the things that stood out to me from that Missouri Georgia game, which I said, in my opinion, was Missouri's best game of the year, uh, was that Georgia didn't make mistakes. And it was the first time that I, as a, as a Missouri fan, was watching a game going, okay, Missouri is going up against the best of the best, and like I'm really paying attention to every single play and every single aspect, because usually it's like, okay, Missouri's getting 24 and a half. Let's see if they can cover. You're not viewing it through the same lens. Right. And the thing that stood out to me about that game was how Georgia didn't make mistakes. They didn't make mistakes. It was just so as close to perfect as it can be for 18 to 23 year olds playing a game in that system. And I thought Alabama made mistakes last night. Yep. A number of them, both offensively and defensively. And that is just uncharacteristic for a Nick Saban team. And those mistakes were enough to cost them. Now, listen, it's not like Michigan played a perfect game. Uh, matter of fact, I would take Washington in the four and a half points. That's the current spread. I would take Washington in the four and a half points. I think any of those four teams could win the national championship. I think Georgia could win the national champ. My point being, I don't think there is a clear right. number one. But as it plays out, after all the talk of what went on in the SEC, after all the talk that went on with Florida State, after all the talk that went on in the Pac-12, and after all the talk regarding Michigan against Ohio State, keep in mind, Ohio State was the number one team when the first college football playoff ranking came out. You get two undefeated teams from two of the best conferences playing each other for the national championship next Monday night. So when it's all said and done, you got a hell of a game. I can't imagine either one dominating. I think Michael Penix is more healthy than he was for the second matchup against Oregon, Mm -hmm. the championship game. And uh, his ability to throw the ball is a hell of a lot better than Jalen Milrose. And the Washington wide receivers might not be as well known as some of the players from the SEC, but they've got some guys who are dangerous catching the ball from Michael Penix and his ability to dial it in and drop it in perfectly. And then you got Michigan and their ability to run the football and J.J. McCarthy, I think it shapes up as a hell of a game. Total coin flip, but if you ask me, since it's a coin flip, I'll take the four and a half points and and, and take the Huskies. But I could see that thing going either way, and I don't think you could have gone wrong with it. I'm glad it's not Alabama-Texas just because it would have been a rematch. But uh, in this sense, Michigan plays both Texas 
and Washington next year. Right. How about that? Yeah, so the Wolverines that. will be taking on uh, both of their possible opponents, and as it turns out, they'll take on Washington uh, coming up in Seattle in late October. Time for us to take a break. Final segment of Balloon Party for the second anniversary gala. Mm-hmm. Everybody is wearing gowns in here today yep, yep, I am. Uh, because of this jubilee. This is 101 ESPN and 101 ESPN YouTube channel. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back. Final segment of Balloon Party here on 101 ESPN. If you can't get enough of me and Jackson, I I just said this during the commercial break because things are usually really well planned out with (laughs) shows involving me. I'm going to try to do QFTA every business day this year. Like when I... and I, Jackson's acting like he's on board with it, and I respect the acting. It's Daniel Day Lewis esque, mm. but I want to do like a quick one every day. I don't know if I'm going to do it. I, you know, it's like maybe like somebody goes, "I'm going to work out every day," and then by like the second week of January, they're like, Bah-bah. "Gyms are packed today." Talk to me on February second. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. They are. But I kind of want to do that. So anyway, we'll go youtube.com slash TMISTL. We'll do that right after this program. Yep. Yeah. It'll just be quick hitters, though, of uh, the Tim McKernan Show podcast. Jackson, final segment of Bloom Party here, driven by Munganass Burkhardt, Alton Toyota. And uh, we're on 101 ESPN, the 101 ESPN YouTube channel, your podcast. It's the Dobbs Tire and Auto Center's podcast. Going back to podcast it. Uh, subscribe and enjoy anytime you would like. What is your final series of questions for the weekend wrap-up that was not called New Year's Nuggets? Sure. Kirby Smart was very candid in his post-game interview about the viability of the bowl system following Georgia's thrashing of Florida State. He was saying this bowl system needs immediate changing with the transfer portal and players opting out, and especially with the new 12-team format next year. Do you think Smart's point has a lot of merit? What will non-CFP bowls look like once we get into the new format? And do you think this is a prisoner-of-the-moment situation, or do you think this is a real issue for college football, given the context of some other things that need to be addressed? So I think... At its core, there's merit to the conversation because some factors are new with regard to the bowl games. The transfer portal and how players are going from school to school. You're seeing players at three different schools in three years. Yeah. Uh, DJ Uyagale will have played for Clemson, Oregon State, and now Florida State. Yeah. Since the 2022 season opened, which is really saying something. He announced that he is going to Florida State for the record after quarterbacking Oregon State this past year. Um, And the transfer portal takes place in December. So you had Hugh Freeze, coach of Auburn, say, yeah, I wasn't really impressed with our game plan against Maryland and whatever bowl that was. But then again, I wasn't really involved with it, which was so... I mean, as somebody who likes to throw you under the bus, I was really like, wow, I got to like take a page out of Hugh Freeze's book uh, for throwing his staff under the bus for the game plan against Maryland. Uh, so you have that going on. Then you also have the early signing period going yes. on. And you have a college football playoff dating back to 2014. So bowl games, which for my money were, were flooded for a long time, well before the college football playoff with exhibition games. College football is the opposite of baseball. They play the Grapefruit League and the Capcus League before they play the games that count. In college football, you play the games that don't matter after the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it's like, well, these games are all exhibitions. Well, what were they before? And it, it were people longing for the days of the trips to Shreveport against 
Arkansas and South Carolina around here. I just think we're romanticizing something that really wasn't all that romantic. It's like you didn't love her 20 years ago. You're just coming hip to the fact that you don't love her now. I think the 12-team playoff is going to increase the excitement around college football, especially with four of those games being on campus to a level we've never seen before. But the issue is the schedule of the month of December, which for fans probably doesn't really impact them all that much. But for coaches and coaching staffs and players, it is chaos. You have the transfer portal. Who's going to be on the team? Who's going to opt out? We saw that. We talked about Ohio State's quarterbacking situation. Not that Kyle McCord was the second coming by any means. But, you know, nonetheless, he was Ohio State's starting quarterback. He transfers out, goes to Syracuse to kind of show you what the market was for his services. Um, You have coaches trying to get guys to flip coming out of high school. And then in addition, you have to game plan for a bowl game. December is anarchy for a college football coaching staff. At the same time, I saw our guy, Orlowski, you know, working on New Year's Day, which is absolutely right, and spewing that they need to get rid of the transfer portal in December. Well, what's his recommendation for when it takes place? Because guess what? You have to enroll in the school in the second semester. So would he like them to do it earlier or later? Yeah, do it in November when everyone's getting fired up for the end of the <laughs> right. season. Yeah, We literally have conference games you're going to do. I mean, what in the hell is that? Yeah. So you just have a spot in which these games, and you sent over an article, and I was like, oh, I can't wait to read this from The Athletic, right. in which Nicole Auerbach, granddaughter of Red, I believe there is a relationship. Yeah, there, there. is, for sure wrote five ways to save the bulls. And I go, this will be great. I can't wait to read it. And it was the first one was make the bowl game mascots more like the Pop-Tart Bowl. Make them sillier. The Kansas State players wound up eating the bowl mascot. Yep. Yep. Mayo dumps. And I go, wow, this is Roman numeral one. <laughs> Can't wait to get to what Roman numeral five was. I mean, so she had nothing, and God bless Red. But, you know, that, that column is probably not one that'll be on the resume reel. So I, I don't really, I, I don't think that this is that big of an issue. I think, that, I, think it's, I think it's highlighted by the debacle that was Florida State. But here's the thing, Jackson. You had the unprecedented lead to the unprecedented. You had an undefeated Power 5 team get left out. And then you had that undefeated Power 5 team's players go, well, screw this. We're not going to play. Right. And so they had a billion players opt out. By the way, and I know this wasn't the question, we t- I know we talked, because we talked about it on TMA, on Balloon Party, and I'm sure on, on the Tim McKernan Show podcast. I knew there would be results-oriented, God, I want to use the S word, <laughs> Pat McAfee caught myself before I did it there, dumb crappery following no matter what happened. Yeah. With the Florida State-Georgia game. I just didn't expect the level of the dumb crappery. Well, see, this proves Florida State didn't belong. God bless America. I'm going to do it. It has nothing to do with you. First bottle throw, 2024. 
if you believe that that was the Florida State team that would have competed against, I guess, Michigan or Texas or Washington or Alabama or Georgia, whoever it would have been, it probably would have been Georgia, actually. Georgia would have been one, and Florida State may have been four if all of the undefeateds got through, Michigan and Washington being the other two. You you just, I mean, I don't want to say you're not paying attention, but God almighty, if you'd like to get together and play poker sometime, I'm going to give out my phone number and we're just going to, I'm going to set up side games because it's the most results oriented, ridiculous statement that see Georgia winning by 60 proves Florida State didn't belong. It's not the way that it works. It's not the way that it works at all. But I saw so much. I saw, I knew that it'd be there. The spread was 23 and a half. This wasn't like a surprise that this took place. Not in the slightest. But it's somehow just, well, I guess the committee was right. You're just, you want to, you're going to crap on it no matter what. So if Florida State won, well, I guess the committee was, committee was wrong. It's going to be results oriented. That drives me up the wall. Here's the reality. It's a one-year problem. You will never have this again. You might have the team that was 12th that felt like they should have been in because the group of five will be the right. 12th team. So right. it's not about being the 12th team. It's about being the 11th team. But the days of uh, five potential conference champions uh, getting in and one being left out who's undefeated are over. Florida State would have been in in the 12-team playoff. So from that standpoint, if anything, college football is only about to get more exciting. Imagine Missouri at Eugene, Oregon, because that's what it would have been this year. Time for us to shut it down. For Jackson Burkett, I'm Tim McKernan. This has been Balloon Party on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.